Well, I'm looking forward to our Christmas Eve services. Um, the, uh, the whole idea of, of what we're doing at Christmas Eve, there's a, there's a couple things that we're hoping to accomplish. Um, one is by, we're, we're imagining that by doing four services that it will be a non-frantic kind of experience for us where we can come together, where we can, um, in the midst of the Christmas season, right as things maybe are kind of like reaching the like point that it's like, let's just, let's have it be this moment of peace in the midst of all of that. And so we're going to do uh, some things, but it's going to be in some ways, we, Julie and I have described it as kind of a, um, I think the best way to describe it, what we have in mind is this, um, it's like a, like a Christmas card to the church and the community that we love. Uh, from our family, and so we're gonna we're really looking forward to that experience. Part of what we're gonna do with that, with the Christmas Eve service is um, the offerings that are given uh, for like during that time, uh, and we can do online too. There's for the Christmas Eve offering related to this um, ahead of time. But the there's a, a specific uh, mission that we're looking to accomplish, and that's to raise up. Uh, and to, to provide training for pastors across the world. So there's an organization that we're partnering with that uh, for about $1,800 can, can train a local pastor in a local context somewhere in the world. These are pastors that are in Africa and, and in, the, in Asia and all, in the Middle East, all across the world. And so for Birchridge, uh, because we value, uh, we value the, the, the training and equipping and developing of leaders, because we value having an impact that's, that's greater than just what we have here, that, that we're looking at Christmas time to say, what do we do that's just... Uh, 100% not about us, uh, but it's about churches around the world. And so we're going to give, uh, and we're going to sponsor as many of those pastors as we can, and we're going to get to celebrate uh, what God does through their lives as, as, as their ministry unfolds folds in their local community. So it's an incredible opportunity we have to be part of something that, that God is already doing, but for us to step in and say, because it's not about us, because we want to be in on what God's doing, uh, that, we, that we get to do this. And so uh, just be thinking that, about that particular piece as we, as we head into as we head into Christmas Eve. One of the, beauties, the beautiful things about Christmas, especially now as a parent, uh, is, is being able to look at Christmas through the eyes of, of kids, right? To be able to experience what it looks like for kids to, um, to anticipate Christmas morning. So we have, uh, in our house, we're starting to get some, some packages showing up around, around the house. And so our kids are looking at packages and looking at the boxes, trying to imagine what's, what's inside them, right? To, to look at this and, and, and to recognize that there is this, this deep sense in this season uh, of both anticipation, of expectation, of, of, well, this is what I was hoping for for Christmas. Here's, the, here's what I hope is in the box that's, that's sitting there. And, and um, it just gives such a beautiful perspective of what it looks like for us to wait in anticipation. Um, for me, when I was a kid, there was one particular year, and um, as a, a middle child, I was the, the middle of three boys, and you can kind of like, there's all sorts of evaluations probably about my personality now, given birth order and everything else. Um, probably most of them are accurate. Um, but I never had a new bike of my very own, right? It was always a hand-me-down, forever hand-me-downs. Pretty much everything I had was a hand-me-down. Then I'd wear it out, and then my younger brother would get the new stuff, right? Isn't that how it works? Um, and I never got my own bike, or at least up to this point in my life, I had never had my own, like, brand-new bicycle, and so one year from, uh, heading into Christmas, that was all I talked about, right? It was like, I want a 10-speed bicycle. I want a red 10-speed bicycle. I knew exactly which one I'd wanted. I uh, had made it very clear when my parents would ask what was on my Christmas list. 10-speed bicycle, when my parents weren't asking what was on my Christmas list and conversation was just happening, I was directing it towards this idea of a red 10-speed bicycle. You know how we do these sorts of things. And um, Christmas morning, I wake up convinced 
that a red 10-speed bicycle is in my future. And so I come down the stairs and, and come to the Christmas tree, and I look, and there is nothing that resembles a 10-speed bicycle anywhere near the tree. And it's like, oh, wait a minute. This is, this is not ex- meeting my expectation for what Christmas is supposed to look like, but it was like, well, you never know, right? Parents might be tricky about this. And so kind of the, the presents are distributed, so my brothers and I would be the elves, right? We would hand out the presents to each other, had their names on them, and um, go around, and we're opening presents, and my brothers are opening things, and, and I'm opening presents, and I was just noticing that um, the, the, the kind of the perceived value of the gifts that I was opening weren't quite as high as what my brothers were opening. It's like, no, wait a minute. Like, not only am I not getting a 10-speed bicycle, I'm also, like, not even, this doesn't even add up, right? I mean, you're kind of, like, trying not to do the math, but it's like, I'm, I'm doing the math. I'm trying to figure it out, and we finally get to the point where we open all the presents, and it's like, man, this was kind of a bummer, right? This is like not a, I didn't, I didn't do a, I didn't get a great, this was not a great Christmas for me, right? My brother's, you know, middle child, right? It's just how it works. And, um, and then my dad asked me to go in and, and get a cup, of, a cup of coffee for him into the kitchen. And so I walk into the kitchen and you can guess there in the middle of the kitchen floor is a 10-speed bicycle that they had brought in from the garage and it was there ready. My expectations, my dreams were fulfilled. But I had to live in this moment right? More than one moment. I had to watch my brothers open the things that they had longed for, and I didn't get to. But I got to live in this anticipation. I got to run really the full cycle of, of anticipation, expectation, um, maybe like cautious optimism to just sheer resolved, this is not going well, to then like the fulfillment of what I had hoped for, what I had expected, right? The, the whole process. And so I look at that story, and I think of that story often when I, when I look at the idea of expectations, when I look at the idea of there's this tension, I think, that exists between what we expect that God is, is going to do for us and then the, the reality that we are called to live in a, with a certain level of joy, right? That, that, we're, that we're called to joy, that we're called to make a choice to, towards joy, to live in a certain way, but the problem is we link joy with the fulfillment of our expectations, right? That we're saying, look, I will feel joy if... Right? Well, if, if this scenario plays out the way I'd like it to, or if, or if this story changes, then, then I, will, I will feel joy in that moment. Uh, the, the problem is, uh, our joy is linked to the fulfillment of our expectations. It's, it's linked to our experience. It's, um, and it's, it's something less than. It's something less than the joy that we're called to. Right? We, can, we can feel happy. Right? We can feel content, but the, the idea of, of, of choosing joy, saying regardless of the circumstances, regardless of a 10-speed bicycle or not, um, I will choose joy. And so that's the, the, the context of the passage that we're going to be spending time in this morning, looking at the story of John the Baptist in uh, Matthew 11, the first six verses of Matthew 11, actually verses 2 to 6. And um, John the Baptist was, was the one who had come to prepare the way for Jesus, right? His, his, his story is so woven in with Jesus' story, so woven in with Jesus' earthly ministry, where he would go ahead of Jesus and say, there's one who's coming after me, right? He was declaring the, the Messiah was, was going to arrive, that, that God used John to point that, that, that the Messiah was, was arriving, right? This sense of expectation, this, this sense of... Um, this, this sense that, that, that something big is about to happen, and yet... Um, in this moment in the story, uh, we find John, his context is prison, right? His context, he's been in prison, he's waiting probably to die, right? There's, there's not a whole lot of hope in, in his story that, that he's ever going to emerge from this prison that he's been, that he's been put into. So he has now paid an, an extremely high price for the story that he's been carrying, for the work that he's been doing for God, for the, the declaration that he's been doing of the coming of the Messiah. So here he is um, imprisoned, 
And what we see in this moment is, is really a collision course between expectations and reality, right? Between expectations and, 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 and this idea of, of what actual circumstances are. So here's John trying to make sense of this. And, 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 and as John tries to make sense of this, we see in the world around him that, that everyone is trying to make sense of what to, what to do with their expectations. The, the, the people who were waiting for Jesus to show up, who had, had been waiting for the Messiah, had thoughts about what that would look like. They were expecting for some, they were expecting a king that would come in and, and dethrone whatever ruler was over, their, over the people at that point. There, there were people that were expecting this massive political upheaval, that were expecting the, the world order to just be radically shifted. And so there's this sense of expectation and there's this sense of, of circumstances, present circumstances, making it difficult to even imagine that, that what's in front of them, the, the reality of God made flesh dwelling among them could actually be what it was they're waiting for. That there's this collision course in some ways that, that's blinding them between their expectations and their present circumstances. Because everybody had thoughts about what the Messiah would be like. Everybody had thoughts about what the Messiah would do. Everybody had thoughts about what their lives would look like once the Messiah showed up. And so here's John, just like everyone else, wrestling with that same sort of question. This, this, this guy who had, who had gone ahead of Jesus, who had dedicated his life to, to preparing the way for Jesus' arrival. And here he is, now imprisoned, right? If, 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 if the story was going to play out in a way that, that we would imagine that it would play out, that, that John would not be in prison in this moment, at least as, as he's imagining what his story should look like. And so in verse 2 of Matthew chapter 11, it says this, When John who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, right? Jesus is now starting to do things. He's starting to, to, to change people's lives. He's starting to heal people. He's starting to perform miracles. There's, there's this story that's starting to spread about who this, this Jesus actually is. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples, right, the people who had been following him, to ask Jesus. And his question is this, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Right? Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? And, and in that question, there's, there's this deep sense that, that there are expectations, right? That there is a sense of, this is what I was waiting for. And even John, who, was, who was, had this kind of inside track on what God was doing, God, John, who, who was able to see because of his prophetic work, that, that, that he was able to see God at work, but still looking and saying, but circumstances just don't add up. Right? There's a sense of expectations. I'm still trying, I'm struggling trying to, to reconcile what, what I'm experiencing with, with what the promise seemed to be. Right? To, to reconcile this idea of present circumstances and, and this, this expectation that I have. He says, are you the one who is to come or should we continue expecting, basically? Right? Are you the one that we've been waiting for? Are you the one that, that God has called me to, to, to prepare the way for? Or... Or could it be that, that there's still someone that's yet to come, that there's, there's still something else that we should be waiting for, this sense of expectation, this sense of the tension that's existing between the reality of, of circumstances and the, and the expectations that, that have driven John up to this point. I had a friend uh, talk about this passage just recently, and he, he said it's, uh, it's a beautiful thing that, that John takes his doubts and he goes to Jesus with them. Right, that he has his questions and he's got his struggles and he's got his, his, his sense of maybe disappointment with what, what's happening in his situation. And he goes and he takes that to Jesus and he simply asks the question. He sends his disciples and says, help me make sense of this. So in verse four, Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. So he says to the disciples, as, as he hears the question that John has for him, he says to the disciples, so what is it that you see? What do you hear? What's real, 
right? What's actually happening? Because there's this reality that, that once things start, start not going well, once our situation starts to look unpleasant, once, once our expectations are, are kind of perpetually being unmet, once situations get difficult, that, that we can't even perceive reality anymore. And so Jesus simply says to the disciples, so what's real? What are you actually seeing? What are you actually hearing? He was telling them that it's not just that he's going to give John an answer. He's not giving John just a simple answer to his question. He's saying, so what is it that you see? What is it that you're experiencing? If you're, if you're wanting to talk about experiences, if you're wanting to talk about expectations, let's, let's take this in a bigger direction. Let's look at the big picture of what's actually happening. What do you see and what do you hear? And he says, so, so go back and report to John what's really happening. So, so give him eyes to see. Help him see the reality of what's happening that... that that even when circumstances are hard, even when expectations aren't matching experience, this is what's actually happening. And sometimes we need people to speak into that for us, don't we? Sometimes we need people to, to actually help with our perception, to actually help us make sense of, of the things that are coming our way. Jesus, Jesus wanted John's followers to be able to answer John, not just in Jesus' words, but in the, in, from their own experience as well, to, to witness what they to, to witness to John what they saw and what they had experienced rather than just simply reporting an answer that Jesus sent back to John. To say, look, John, it's not just what I have to say. It's, this is what's actually happening. And then Jesus begins to, to paint the picture, right? He begins to, to focus their attention on specific things that are happening. He says this that in verse 5, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, and those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Right, Jesus says, just to make sure you're seeing accurately, right? just to make sure that you actually see what's happening. Jesus says, go back and report to John what you hear and see, um, but not just what you kind of like, maybe your, your, your perspective is calling you to, to see or the, the things that you're focused on are calling you to see. Lift your eyes from present experience. Lift your eyes from, from the specific things that, that are causing you to take your eyes off of maybe the things that really matter. And he says, pay attention to this. He says, look, the blind receive sight. The lame are walking. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Jesus is giving this, them this lens. He's, he's giving them a lens to, to see this through, but he's also giving them a, a sense of the connection of his story with the bigger story that God has been writing for a much, much longer period of time. Because Jesus' words are reflecting a prophecy that the prophet Isaiah spoke um, years and years and years before. He says this, that the, the Spirit of the Lord, in, in Isaiah 61, in verse 1, the Spirit of, our, of, of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to, to bring the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Jesus is saying, look, I am doing, I'm doing what God said I would do, right? And when he spoke through Isaiah, I'm doing the things that, that when someone comes, when, when, I, when I came, this is, this is what's actually happening. And then he closes his answer to John and to John's disciples with this. He says, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. In other words, blessed is the person who can lay down their expectations, right? Blessed is the person who can, who can lay down their expectations and, and seek Jesus for who he is, not just for what they want from him or what they expect that he will bring to them. 
right? It's a, it's a, it's a collision course with the way we're wired. It's a collision course with, with the reality of the human condition. Jesus is saying, we've got to get this right. And, and for those of us who can, for those of us now, as this story echoes thousands of years later, that, that we can listen to this story, that we can see John wrestling with his experience and wrestling with his expectations and, and wrestling with the tension. Jesus walking John's disciples through this idea and understanding of, of this is what things are, this is what's actually happening. He says, those those who can see it. That is, a, that, is a, that is a blessing to be able to lay down expectations, to be able to lay down all the things that we would like to see happen, all the things that we want to happen, all the things that we think should happen, and instead fix our eyes on Jesus, instead fix our eyes on the reality of God at work for us, in us, and through us. To, to get over just chasing after God for what we want from him. And then Jesus turns and applies the, the story. The this, this story happens as, and, and, and as the story goes on, as the, the passage goes on, the, the, John's disciples go back and they speak to John and they tell him uh, Jesus' answer. But Jesus, as, his, as John's disciples are leaving, Jesus then turns to the crowd and says, essentially, what is it that you came here for? Right, he begins to address, he makes this specific application about expectations. He makes this specific application of, of John's story for, the, for the, the people around Jesus, for the people that were listening to this conversation. Jesus says, look, this story actually impacts all of us. This story actually helps us see things a little more clearly. He says, well, what is it that, that you came looking for? And so we can look at Jesus as he applies it to those around him, specifically directly around him, and we can look at it in our lives and say, so what does this mean for us? If, if this is how the story applied, right? If, if, it's, if, it's, if it's a bigger story than just a conversation between John and Jesus or John and his disciples and Jesus, but, but Jesus then applies that to the, the, the crowd that's gathered around them, then, then for us to lean in and to listen and say, what is it that this means for us, right? How do we take this story and, and apply it to our lives today? And so we have to ask ourselves the question, what is it we're looking for, right? What is it that we're looking for? Or maybe for some of us, as we wrestle with this idea of choosing joy, right, to actually make a specific choice to say that, that I, we recognize that, that joy doesn't just happen, that we have to make a decision, that, that there's, a, there's a choice that has to be made. For us, those of us, we have to say, well, what is it that we're looking for? It could be that we have to ask ourselves the question, what is missing, right? If we say, look, I would feel joy if... Or if, if only this would happen, then I think I could find a little bit of joy or I could at least experience something that, that maybe feels like joy for us to get honest about that, to wrestle with that question, to say, what is it that I'm looking for? For some of us, there's something that brought us even to this place this morning or brought us into this community that, that we were longing for, that, that we're saying, what is it that, that brought me here? Just like Jesus saying to the crowd that had gathered around him, what is it that you expected to see? What is it that brought you here? Or maybe as we talk about what we're looking for, maybe one of the questions we have to answer is, what is it that keeps me from experiencing joy? Right, what is it that keeps me from experiencing joy? To, 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 to look at this question as we, as we spend time in this, in this season of anticipation, as we spend time preparing for Christmas, allowing God to do a work in us, as we prepare, what is it that keeps us from experiencing joy, for us to maybe make that part of our devotional lives this week, to, to ask that question, what is it that, that if I was going to get real honest and, and just write something down and say, this is the thing, that when I say this is what's holding me back from experiencing joy, this is what's, what's making me feel something different, or this is what, what evidence exists that, that tells me that I shouldn't choose joy, that I should choose fear, I should choose some other thing that's, that's less than that. What is it that's keeping me from experiencing joy? And so when we make a choice to choose joy, 
We're making a choice to, to make a specific move, and that move is a move from seeking happiness, which is our replacement for joy, right? Happy is a feeling. Happy is a thing that, that happens to us that, that's kind of like from the outside into us, that and it's a result of circumstances, uh, our replacement for joy that, that doesn't actually require anything of us because it's based on circumstances, right? I, I feel happy. This situation makes me feel happy. Or we say, I choose joy, right? Joy is something deeper and something better, something that's more, have more substance than simply being happy. And so we move from seeking happiness to choosing joy. I wrote in my notes, I said, joy is a choice. It's not a reflection of our circumstances or, or a result of our expectations being met. It's a choice to lay down our expectations, to look up from our personal experience, and to seek the one who can bring joy. Right? Joy is not linked to circumstances. Joy, and that, I think the, that's the decision that we're called to make this morning, to, to say, I'm going to choose joy, which means that I have to, to make some choices about what I'm not going to choose, or I'm going to have to make some choices about what it is I'm going to lay down that, that keeps me from making that choice or keeps me from imagining that that choice is even possible. And so we look and we say, what is it that I've got to let go of? Right? What, what expectations have I put up as, as the barrier to experiencing joy, to, to choosing joy? What is it that, that feels like it's missing in my life that's, that's, that's causing me to feel like I can't experience joy? And to, to take all of that and say, God, I'm choosing joy, but you're going to have to help me get there. Right? For me and for us, we're, we're not wired to just, just lay that kind of stuff down. We start talking about unmet expectations. We start talking about unpleasant circumstances. We talk, start talking about the things that, that, that cause us to, to take our eyes off of, of what actually gives joy to look at what that looks like, to understand what that looks like, requires help, right? For us to get before God and, and just say, God, help me, help me experience this. Help me get through this. Work, me, work with me as I choose joy. Do that refining work in me. There's something that um, I'm going to walk through in this kind of last piece of, of this message. It's a, this is something that, that over the years I have learned that it has been so helpful for me to understand the kind of decision that we're talking about this morning. And it's um, not a reflection of great graphic design. I, this is all my fault, just so you know, but we'll get the, this thing up here, right? Can we, can we agree with those statements, right? <laughs> is, that, is that at all accurate, right? When we talk about these kind of like two great truths of life, that, that God is good, right? And that life is hard. Is, I mean, can we, can we, like, uh, we can agree to this, right? That this is, these are two things that, that we have to figure out what we're going to do with. That, that when we say, I choose joy, it doesn't just mean that we get to choose that, that, that God is good. Yeah, we can feel joy in that, and we should. But then the reality is we, we experience the other thing, too, that, that life is hard, right, for all of us. I'm looking around the room this morning, and I know, I know I'm not alone. I know that none of you are alone in experiencing this, that, that God is good and life is hard. And so we've got to figure out what it is we're going to do with that. Right? That, that these two truths, they exist, they exist in life, they exist just in, in the reality of what's, what's happening. And when we say choose joy, this is the kind of thing that we start talking about unmet expectations, we start talking about present circumstances, that, that we have to deal with this reality. And so one of the ways we do this when we get the next slide is, is we, we create kind of this like divide between these two things. That we try and experience life and say like, well, God is good. Okay, and I'm going to put that in and kind of like put up this firewall between the reality that life is hard. I'm going to kind of like just allow these two things to exist separately, to, to have no connection between these two things, that, that we can come on a Sunday morning and we can sing songs and we can, we can be in community together. We can hear scripture being read to us and we can spend time in our small groups and we can have these moments where it's like, it is so clear that God is good. It is so clear that God is good when we're in this room. 
right? When we're singing together, when the band is doing what the band was doing this morning and we're, we're worshiping together and we're giving glory to God that, that we can say God is good and then this kind of like other thing that happens once we leave this place or we leave those places that, that remind us of God's goodness is that we go and we live in places where life is hard. Right? And so what we do is we kind of create this firewall between these two things and we, we kind of hold the, these two realities, we hold them in tension as if one has nothing to do with the other, right? So God is good and life is hard. The, pro- the, the problem is that doesn't work. And so we're left with God is good and life is hard. If we can get the next slide and then the next one, what happens is we experience the goodness of God. And then the next step, it seems like, isn't it? The next step is that life is hard. That we, we go through this spiritual journey and we, we take a step towards God or we start to lean in and we start to make a decision. We start to, maybe this morning for some of us, we're, we're choosing joy or maybe we're choosing something even bigger than that. We're choosing to follow Jesus for the first time. And we, we have this idea or this deep sense that, that God is good and then we take this step forward spiritually speaking and then, then we, we're confronted with the reality that life is hard. And so what do we do with that? If we can get the next slide, the, there's decisions that we have to make. One is that we just kind of like live in that loop of life is hard, right? That we go from, from God is good, that we go from these kind of mountaintop experiences or these, these moments where we experience the, the goodness of God and, we, and then we go out and we live, live lives that, that, that reflect that life is hard. And then we just kind of allow this cycle to continue where we just live in this kind of like perpetual life is hard. And I make decisions based on life being hard. And we're just simply trying to survive, just trying to make it to the next day, but just trying to make that, make that work. Or maybe we're just making decisions that have nothing to do with the goodness of, of God at all. And we're just kind of like living it in this difficult life. Or if we can get the next slide, um, another choice would be that we say, I'm out, right? I'm out. There's, th- this, is, this is not for me because my expectations would be that if God is good, then life is good, right? If God is good, then life is easy. And so we come in this moment and we, maybe, we're, maybe we're not in this loop of just kind of like living in and, live, and making decisions that continue to make life harder for us as God tries to refine us, but we're confronted with the, the, the fact that life doesn't always make sense, that circumstances get difficult, that, that life is hard. And so here we are making a decision and, and, and the choice that we make, we talk about making choices. The choice that we make is to, to lean out, right? To lean away from God, to, to say, well, if, if God is good and life is hard, then, then I'm just gonna have to not trust that God is good. Right, that's the only way that I can make sense of it. That's, that's what that arrow signifies. That it's, the, it's the lean out. It's the, it's the, it's the looking at the reality. It's, it's looking at what present experiences are and saying, my expectations, my present circumstances aren't working for me. Therefore, God doesn't work for me. Right? We're all faced with this decision, but there's one more slide that uh, has the, the completed cycle. This is the, the decision to even when life is hard. Right? Even when circumstances don't make sense, even when things go, go in directions that we would rather them not go, that, that we make a decision, right? This is the crossroads. This is the, the, the choice that we are faced with. Will we choose to lean out? Or will we choose, as John did, to take our questions, take our doubts, take our struggles, and, and place them before Jesus and say, help me make sense of this, right? That, that, that God is good and life is hard, but we don't just stay and give up on life, with, with life just being hard, that, that we get to the point where we, we make a decision about what we're going to do with this, because we can't just stay in that, in that moment as a, as a step, that God is good, life is hard, that, that that connection point, the choice that we make to lean in, to, 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 to pursue Christ, to, to pursue what God is doing, to, to trust that even when circumstances don't make sense, that, that God is good, 
right, to complete that cycle. And our lives are going to be a perpetual, it feels like, cycle of, of this where there's moments of God is good and it's so clear that God is good and then there's moments that it's so clear that life is hard. And instead of going around trying to make, kind of like hold these two things in tension, just to trust that they, they work together, that we have choices to make, that God is good, that the nature of God does not change, that life is hard, that will be true until, until we're on the other side of eternity. But the choice is, what are we going to do with it? Right? What is it that we're going to do if that's what's true, if that's what's experienced, then, then, then what choice will we make? Will we simply choose to live as if nothing matters and just continue to loop in this life is hard, life is hard, life is hard? Or will we choose to, to, make a, to take a turn away from God? Or will we lean in? Will we trust him? Will we come to him with those things that don't make sense and say, God, I trust that you are good. Life is hard. Right? Help me make sense of this. For us to make that decision, for us to lean in, this is that, that lean in when it would be easier to lean out, lean out kind of moment. That's the choice that we're faced with. Right? Joy is a choice. Right? Present circumstances we cannot control. Doesn't change the goodness of God. Let's pray. God, thank you. God, thank you for what you're teaching us. God, I pray that for those of us that are in the middle of those kinds of battles that we're learning exactly this lesson. God, I pray you'd bind us up. That you'd hold us up. That you, that you would give us strength to, to walk through. That you'd give us wisdom to make the right decision in the, in the midst of the, the circumstances that simply reveal the reality that life is hard. That, that we can get so caught up. That we can get, get such a singular focus on the, on the difficulties that we face that, that we can't even see that you are good. God, you're inviting us to make a choice this morning to, to choose joy. God, I pray. God, I pray you give us courage. God, I pray that, that you give us wisdom. God, I pray that you bring people around us to, to help us make that decision well. So God, thank you. Thank you for what you've done for us, what you're doing in us, and what you long to do through us. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.